My name is Sister Prince. Today is December 8, 1988, and I am interviewing Captain Charles Alphen of the Police Department, 6th District. Appreciate it. I appreciate your time, Captain Alphen. And um, all right, let's begin by you telling me when did you come to the police? I joined the police department in uh, July of 1965. And you were? A patrolman, probationary patrolman. And your age was? Um, I was 25. 25, okay. Um, we're here to discuss uh, the personal perspective that you would have of any marches, uh, disturbances, protests, and, and riots. So um, where would you like to start? What was your first? Well, I think the um, the riots that began after Dr. King's assassination, uh, just prior to that, the rumbling that was happening across the nation, uh, my awareness that there was some a movement going on. At that time, I was a young married uh, person just home from the military, had a wife and two kids, and was not really concerned about what was outside of myself. I was trying to struggle to keep a family uh, fed and uh, wasn't really aware of uh, what was happening in the South and the North and uh, really would listen to Dr. King but didn't have much faith in his philosophy or his concept and really thought that it was a little passive and sissified. So I uh, was very disturbed that that route was taken in his uh, endeavor to bring about peace and justice. All right. So that was that was in '65. So, yeah, through the '68. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, just before his assassination, and he, he got very visible. And uh, the Poor People's March. He was planning those type of uh, incidents. How there. did you see St. Louis? How did you see the city? You were you were a patrolman. Did you did you feel that? Uh, the city was was quiet. Were you hearing well, rumblings? Were people? Well, I was born and raised in St. Louis, and uh, had experienced racism since I guess day one. Mm -hmm. uh, had been involved in trying to swim in Fairground Park, and had gotten beaten up by whites and almost lynched and bicycle taken. Uh, the park more up on Kings Highway when they wouldn't serve uh, blacks. I remember when I just went up there and laid down in that driveway because that was what the grown-ups were doing because blacks could not eat there. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I have been bombarded by racism uh, in the city of St. Louis and, and certainly was disturbed about it and uh, was, didn't know what to do. So I guess in the 60s, uh, looking for a way out, uh, looking for some uh, progress for blacks and, and poor. Um, I was in a mixed emotion. I joined the police department strictly for salary. Uh, I was in college when they, they meaning the police department, announced a raise to the St. Louis police officers of $6,110. That was an annual salary. And I left uh, my part-time college in SIU and joined the police department. So I was kind of mixed emotions, uh, looking for money to support a family. Born and raised in the city of St. Louis, had strong ties to the city, strong ties to the streets. Uh, I was a typical boy, 
And my friends uh, turned on me. They lost, uh, stopped talking to me. Uh, they, they felt that I was a part of the system, Uncle Tom, that I had joined the system that was oppressing uh, black folks and uh, really struggling with trying to my identity to see who I was and then to be accepted by blacks. So it was uh, a lot of emotion going through me at that age. But nobody, was anybody proud of you besides your wife? All my family and my brother's mm -hmm. a police officer and in fact was a little bit instrumental in talking me into joining. Mm -hmm. So he had been on six years before I joined. Mm -hmm. Uh, my wife was uh, proud of. Them. My parents were a little concerned about the danger. Mm -hmm. My teach my my sisters were school teachers, so they're public orientated. So the family was very supportive. But mm -hmm. uh, the friends, I lost a lot of them. They quit speaking. Uh, I had to stop going to places I had used to been going because the people were thinking I was there to be snitching and to be oh. arresting. Uh, for instance, uh, I used to, I liked to shoot pool. I was raised up on the corner in a pool room, and uh, uh, they looked at me uh, very suspicious when I would come in. A lot of emotion, a lot of trauma, a lot of just being accepted by because I was a police officer. So, what was it like to be a police officer in those circumstances? In those that kind of conditions? very difficult, very difficult. You're you're torn between. Uh, what is your place in life? Are you on the wrong side of the fence? Uh, what would you do if, you know, how do you handle uh, situations where you know people are protesting for their right or their right, their God-given right? Uh, how do you fit into the picture? What happens when you, if there's an arrest to be made? All these things come in your mind. Certainly uh, it's something that, that drains on your mind has been a law enforcement officer because you're sworn to keep the peace. In your class, how many how many men were in your class? About 35, 40. How many were? Two black. Two black. That was the norm in the, in the 60s. Uh, uh, it was uh, very lopsided. And, and were you first put into a black neighborhood? I've only been black, yeah, absolutely. I uh, did a tr some training in, in South St. Louis. Uh, my first day, I was called a nigger and, in South St. Uh, Louis. And then that was uh, two days of, of what they call field training. And then I spent my entire career in North St. Louis. Did anyone call you a nigger in North St. Louis? Yes, they called me a nigger. Um, not to my face. Blacks, so. Blacks, not to my face. This was, this was the first but time I've been that called. That was my question. Did blacks ever call you? Um, Maybe shouting from a, you know a, as a, a group, but not one on one. Mm -hmm. I guess this was really shocking to me because it was a, a white person that just looked me in my eyes and called me a nigger mm -hmm. in uniform. I'm sure in demonstrations or the Bell Prophet when we're doing, we're moving people that that name has come out and it's been directed toward me by blacks. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, okay. Was there any? policy, subtle or straight out in the open, that was given to you when you first started being uh, a black policeman in, in a way of how to handle yourself? No, I don't remember any classes that the police, you mean within the police well, department? Well, the fact that you were black and, for instance, uh, going over into South St. Louis. Were you allowed to arrest? Uh, oh yes, it was 
there was nothing there. I think the police department was open. It was the attitude of, of the people okay. in the area. Uh, mm -hmm. we, were, we were arresting and et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you act, could actually make an arrest? Yes, in 65. It may seem like a strange question, but... It... Now, that's appropriate. I was talking to uh, Sister Willa Mae Ford Smith, the gospel singer, and she was just hugging me being a black captain, and she was saying that she remembers when blacks could not arrest whites in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. They had to call for a white, but that's beyond my time. But that's an appropriate question. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, how did your fellow white policemen treat you? It depended on the uh, situation. Um, if it was very close to the area, I can remember when the, they were protesting that some um, people had been killed. I think the, the uh, young man had been shot in the back. Uh, those types of incidents brought about a little more tension in the police station itself. Mm -hmm. The community was in an uproar. They would naturally call racism, especially if it was a white cop shooting a, uh, a black youngster. Uh, there were certain several investigations where shots had been fired at youngsters, teenagers that had been killed. It was a lot different when a white killed a black. The tension from within the police department, from my colleagues, there was always tension. Even if it was a black police officer to kill a black because they would say that, haha, you're working with the system. We knew you were part of the system and now you are supporting them what the system says do and that's to kill blacks. And I think that was uh, done on a strategy, strategic uh, uh, area with the groups to rouse up the emotion in the neighborhood. So uh, that's what we expected, when you, whether it was black or white killing, that there would always be an uproar. Well, let's go to the protests then, or to the demonstrations or to things. What was the first one that uh, where you were involved in keeping things wow. in order? Well, let's see. I think it was when Adam Clayton Powell came to St. Louis mm -hmm. and marched down Franklin with what he said was uh, wooden machine guns. And uh, I was in the 9th District, that's at 3021 Lucas, that's mm -hmm. where I first came out of the academy. I spent 10 years there. So it was right in the height of uh, all the demonstrations and uh, I was assigned to that detail. Very, very emotion uh, packed. Uh, the, at that time, Charles Cohen had just come to St. Louis and uh, Willie Dent were the basic organizers of the Zulu, the Black Liberators, I'm sorry. There were also some Zulus, Zulu 1200s uh, Zulu that were not active in that area but participated and supported the Black Liberators. Mm -hmm. uh, Cohen, as I recall, was a co-leader or the leader with the system being about Dent. We had a communications because I didn't know Cohen, but I knew Dent. Dent had been, his family had lived in that area, and uh, I had known him and his family through some police involvement and also brothers. And so there was a communication that we exchanged, some dialogue between us, and uh, he would get out uh, on Franklin before the demonstrations and marches, and we would have a staging area like on Delmar and uh, Jefferson, which is about two blocks away. And it was a sure force. And he would say, man, uh, they would get in a car and ride over two blocks to see 
the extra police officers and the horses and the dogs. And he said, man, you are waiting to kill us. And I said, well, we don't, uh, we don't want to hurt you, you know, but if, if it gets out of hand, they're prepared. So we would, we would have communications uh, like that, that uh, during the demonstrations, uh, the people, if I may say so, in that area was not as receptive toward the actions uh, uh, of the liberators. They were sympathetic with the conditions of blacks, but not sure that that's the way out. I was certainly also struggling with that because we dialogued at length with Cohen and Dent about not what they were doing, but the way they were doing it. And when did you dialogue? All the time. We Wait, would see. Uh, what do you mean? You mean just when you were on duty, or? Yeah, we. I didn't. When I was off duty, I would not be down there. I lived in. I lived in West End, St. Louis mm -hmm. City. But uh, again, I was a policeman there. Had and been had been there for three or four years. So I, I knew the family of Dent. Um, I had been involved in some arrests with the family and. Uh, they knew myself, so we would we would see when I was on duty. We talk, and uh, he would give their side of the story, and and certainly I would sympathize with them. I understood what they were saying, what they were doing, uh, but it was high emotion. Uh, I think the the one with Adam Clayton Powell really raised it to a high level because uh, we had pictures, or the, or the paper had pictures, as I recall, that showed us uh, guns that they were carrying. And that, who was carrying? People they, that were marching uh, with him? Yes, they had, uh, they marched down the middle of the street, as I recall, Franklin Avenue, and they had guns, uh, automatic weapons, which were very terrifying then because we did not know that uh, those type of weapons were being used or had. At first uh, you said wooden. Well, when the pictures came out, uh, the liberators, the, the black liberators, and I think Alan Clayton Powell had left them, they were stayed, they, they said those are wooden weapons. You know, that was their excuse when the but papers they, came out. But they weren't. As far as we could see, they were real weapons, yes. But they were saying, those are not real weapons, those are wooden did weapons. Did you try and stop them? Well, they had marched, but they they, were, they did it on an isolated day. By the time we got down there, they had they had uh, uh, vanished. They were not in the streets. I see. <clears throat> so there, was no, there were no problems, just high emotions? Not with that. We had... Uh, uh, oh, it was like uh, they shot through the police station. When I say they, somebody shot through the police station. Almost hit a teletype clerk. Uh, we had to put uh, armed guards on the roof of the police station. Uh, I remember going up on top of the roof and waiting and with, with, with rifles, et cetera, to uh, protect the station. It was like war. I mean, it was, uh, uh, it, was un it was unreal. It was really unreal to see Somebody shot through the station, and we had regular detail. We had a 24-hour guard, especially when it got dark. Mm -hmm. um, we had police on top of the station roof at, at the 9th District, 3021 Lucas. And uh, it was all-out warfare, really. Well, because, did you shoot back? Well, the, when they shot the first time, they were gone before we got out there. And I think that after that incident, the chief decided to uh, put some guards on top of the roof. And they would pass by, they meaning the black liberators and the Zulus and some other people. I'm not sure what identity, what, what identity that they carried. Uh, but as I recall, there were no shots back uh, in this incident. What was the policy of the department? I mean, what, how are you, what, what, I mean, just going on a beat is different than 
when you say emotions are running high, intentions. Was the police? How, what was the policy of the police department? Well, naturally, you I mean, know, the newspaper. Law. Excuse me, but newspapers say, well, you know, that there was brutality, and and you hear that from different people. Could you comment on? I this? didn't see any brutality. There were certain uh, incidents that 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 uh, people complained about through the I the Internal Affairs Division. That's what we call IED. Uh, the complaints were very high. Uh, specifically when they, uh, one evening, Lieutenant Grimes was a watch commander and they shot through his house on Margareta. And that night we had to round up the people to, for his daughter to identify. Uh, if she, I think she was letting the dog out and she saw a glimpse of the person across the street. Uh, there were a lot of complaints that evening about uh, the way that people were handled. But uh, that was a... That was an all-night ordeal and, uh, and very high. One of the board commissioners came out to the night district because mm -hmm. now you've taken out the protest and you've gone personal to somebody's home. And I think Lieutenant Graham's daughter was about 13 years old then mm -hmm. when the shot went through her home. So they, we took it, we mean the police department, as retaliation against a police officer mm -hmm. who happened to be a black police officer by the name of Lieutenant Grimes. Well, wasn't that the time when uh, their headquarters were The headquarters are uh, right, their headquarters on, on Franklin Avenue. Uh -huh. And I think that IED, uh, again, that's Internal Affairs Division, had a big investigation. And, the, the black liberators, liberators accused uh, some wrongdoing. The police department accused some wrongdoing, and uh, it was very different. It was very difficult times, especially, you know, uh, being black, understanding what they were doing, and then remembering that you have a a sworn profession, a sworn oath that you will uphold, and uh, uh, sometimes you felt like you. You may have been used a little bit by the system. Uh, certainly, the system couldn't send white people to get intelligence from blacks, so they had to send blacks. Uh, whenever they worked on the wall, they painted that whole wall down, Franklin. Whenever they were working, we had to stay with them. We just sat across the street in front of Fry's drugstore and watched the wall. Uh, I remember one evening, uh, one night, they threw white paint on the wall. And they swore the police did that. Uh, we had, you, you saw them throw it? No, no, no. We had, uh, they had stopped painting. They would usually paint on Sunday or Saturday and have music. And it was a big festivity. You know, people would come by and serve. And it was a big black festival, really. And that evening, one evening after doing the darkness, uh, somebody threw white paint on the wall. And the next morning, they saw it and they swore the police did it. You know, that was a, another harassment to the police department. We never found out. Never found out who did it. <clears throat> Captain Alfin, did they? Did the police department uh, realize how difficult it was for black policemen? Well, I'm not sure. They never mentioned it to me per se. I had a lot of support from other black uh, officers who remember I was a patrolman then, very young patrolman. Uh, the upper rank blacks uh, are tremendous support. Uh, just by talking, uh, just by showing me how to handle things in a, in a diplomatic way that really didn't put you up like uh, a white uh, enforcer, okay? So I, I think the biggest support that, as I recall, were the other blacks that had been seasoned officers. Mm -hmm. 
because even so, even though they gave you support, they had not really been where you were, because in their day of being on the beat, it wasn't like that. You were living, a, you were a beginning, you were living through something that they had not lived through. Right. The times were entirely different. Yeah, I think of their beat experience, the neighborhood welcomed them. You know, right. they were the black and the, and the police and the, they were respected. So uh, I would say yes, that's a different Yeah, uh, you really were a, a first in a way. <laughs> well, you were. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of the, of the car here. <laughs> Black Liberator, and I, I don't know if that was around the same time as that. Uh, yeah, they had a car that they were, they, they drove in, and uh, that appears to be the car that appears to be on Franklin Avenue. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were, you know, visible, they moved in the neighborhood. Uh, I don't know what they did in their office, I just, uh, I guess they would have some meeting places and what have you, but they were uh, trying to mobilize the neighborhood for direction. Why do you think that people say that there was police brutality? Um, not just your people on the street, but people that, um, well, for instance, uh, and I hope to get into this, you know, why riots were avoided, well, we can get into it right now. Um, Marion Olden said that un underemployment for health care, for health care, excuse me, inadequate welfare, police brutality, poor housing, poor education, high food prices are factors that could contribute to unrest. The masses of Negroes are worse off today than 50 years ago than we had hoped. Today we don't. When man is powerless, he has no hope. He is ready to die. She does have police brutality in there. And, and well, I think it's because, um, remember in the 60s how uh, there were law enforcement officers, and I'll, I'll start very broad and, and come back to St. Louis, that's been proven that uh, there was some FBI that were Klansmen. There were some sheriffs in the South that was Klans. Most civil rights people are very, very suspicious of the police, even now today, as uh, uh, because they've experienced so much within law enforcement. Uh, James Farmer with the Freedom Rides, uh, it's been documented that the FBI gave the Klan his route. I think that they've just run a lawsuit that they beat the white in, in, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, that the white man uh, just won a lawsuit because the federal FBI violated civil rights. So there's there's a there's a perception that, that law enforcement and sometimes specifics that they have been cooperative with. And not only that, in in St. Augustine, Florida, there was the the Gun Club. There was a, a racist uh, organization that was led by a, a deputy sheriff. So through history, policemen have been involved, and law enforcement have been involved. So I think that sometimes it's perception. I don't know of anybody in St. Louis that had been convicted of police brutality. I think that there was certainly a lot of, uh, of, of uh, people saying that it did, it did happen, and someone went to court. Um, and it's in fact Cohen uh, in the Ninth District Station was supposedly beaten up by a police officer. The police officer had a different story to it, but uh, I'm sure you couldn't convince Cohen that that was he was right. Uh, nobody saw it. I think some policemen saw it. I was not there, as I recall. I was assigned to the Ninth District, but was off, and uh, I wasn't there. And 
don't recall, but it was a tremendous uh, uprising. He wore a turban. He had, I remember very, he had a bandit walk wrapped around his head because they said the policeman hit him with nine sticks. That was not the policeman's statement or the, not the policeman's story. Uh, and Did they ever prove who was? I think they, there was some disciplinary action. And as I recall, that was the reason the Police Officers Association got started. The, what we were talking Not about the black, the oh. white. Uh, there were some whites. It happened in the rear, uh, in the detective bureau. And um, um, the board took some disciplinary action, as I recall. Against the white officer? Yes. And uh, the white officer said, we need an organization. And that's when the, the police officers association sprang up uh, because of Charles Cohen and because of the direction that the Board of Police Commissioners and the, the chief went against those officers that Cohen said beat him. And uh, I think the statement from the police department was that he failed or, or something, that he was trying to walk out. So when you get back to police brutality, it's, I think it's, it's, uh, it was never proven in, to my knowledge that there was brutality. Uh, I'm not that naive to say it didn't happen, but it was not ever proven now. Uh, when we look back at the movement, you know, we can relate law enforcement officers with groups that are not what we would call uh, desirable groups to be a participant of. So I think that it just comes out police brutality because it, it was so uh, widespread in the movement. Well, how about police brutality on the streets where, you know, the well, uh, in the movement, in the civil rights movement, and specifically in the, in the St. Louis Police Department, I did not see any, uh, or did, did I know anybody? Do I know anybody that got convicted of it? I think that uh, the the civil rights movement had attorneys and they had people as watchdogs. In fact, as I remember, they had cameras. They had uh, they would take. Uh, I can't remember what group that was. They would take the picture to make sure that there was no uh, knocking around when they were stopping cars on the street. Uh, they had another car that would follow and take a picture. So, uh, Are you talking of somebody like Ivory Perry or something? Yeah, somebody that was well known, Percy Green. I mean, uh, we would, people who would speak out. Uh, Percy. Is that Percy? Climbing the arch. Oh yeah, <laughs> Percy handcuffed himself to the Bell Prophet Parade to the Queen's float and uh, with, a, with some foreign handcuffs, so we didn't have a key to it. Tell me about that. Well, I was a little bit disturbed with Percy because he chose to do it right in front of me, and I was the, the instructions were when the parade passed you, it used to come down Olive Street, and uh, uh, I think Percy was saying it was a racist organization. It didn't allow blacks in. It was St. Louis County. All the things we're saying now is it's amazing how it comes back, you know. And uh, Percy handcuffed himself to the Queen's float. And I was on a detail, a young officer, and I saw them told us when the parade passes you, you can go home. You know, the parade's gone. And so I'm looking forward to getting off duty. And uh, up popped Percy Green, who handcuffed himself to the float with some foreign handcuffs. We'd had one key normally fits all handcuffs. For the sake of the tape, uh, would you please repeat to me that you were you knew Percy and had played ball with him? Absolutely, Percy. Uh, so I, I don't want to interrupt your story, but I think that's important. Yeah, Percy was. Uh, 
person lived in Laclede Town, and uh, the district where I worked in the 9th District uh, took in Laclede Town, and we had a softball police uh, team, and we played, uh, it was police officers that uh, played softball, and, and Percy was on Laclede Town's softball team. Good athlete, and uh, he would joke with the, first of all, I remember the first time we played, we had a white shortstop. And he said, I'm not going to play with that white shortstop. And we said, well, it would not be a game, but he's our shortstop. And uh, after some deliberation that, that got heated at a point of time, uh, we decided to play the game with the white shortstop, with the police officer, all these police officers. And we played, and there was no, there was no more uh, confrontation after that or questioning of the color of, of the team. And uh, it got so humorous that we would, uh, he would say, often say, I think he played first, the first base he played it. If the white man steps on my foot, I'm going to cry police brutality, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was a kind of humorous thing, you know. And today, uh, Percy and I are still friends. We still talk. He, he had a direction, and, uh, you know, he went in that direction. So uh, we were, it was unique, I would suppose, because I knew Cohen and Dent and uh, Percy Green and, and actually even played sports uh, in, a, in a pickup. Sandlot game over at the uh, ballpark at uh, that's Compton and Market, the old Shine Community Center. I interrupted you. You're standing on the street. You want to go home. You're in your uniform. The bail prophet's going by. The, the queen with Percy. He handcuffed out. himself to <laughs> the float, and they had to stop the parade. Didn't have a key to uh, unlock the handcuff because he had chosen some foreign handcuffs. Uh, we had to get a. a police vehicle through the crowd to get the, the coat boat cutter so I think that he accomplished his purpose because he disrupted the whole parade and uh, caused me to spend time that I would have been off uh, if he would just waited about 10 more feet uh, I would not have been involved in the process and and all the legal and all the do paperwork you, that do you think he, uh... I don't think he even saw me because we were we were on facing the crowd, and I think it was just coincidental. I'm saying, Percy, why me? You know. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> I don't recall. I said, you could, you know, a half a block, you know, anytime. I mean, why would you do that in front of right in, you know, where we had to converge and help with the. Uh, well, how did people react? There was some cheering. Uh, it was mostly black audience that came down. Uh, I think he, he picked a spot where it was it was mixed audience, but there was cheering. Uh, I think the blacks had realized uh, what he was saying. Uh, I don't know if they agreed with him. When I was young, the Vale Prophet, I, I mean, that was the start of, this, of, this, of, this, of the winter festivities. And I can remember myself as a youngster living up in, in St. Louis that I would just want to just go over there because that was a thing to do. And the white veil prophet, or I guess he was white, always wore a mask, and I would shoot my little. Uh, we had bean shooters in, and the police would. I guess it was police brutality, but they would smack us upside our head and take our bean shooters because we loved to shoot at the the float. So I, I guess he was raising the conscience level of uh, the community that uh, this parade is not in 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 good of uh, best for your your benefit. But what were what were the whites? Doing. You said there were some? There were some, yeah. They were very, at that time, as I recall, uh, a little fearful because uh, uh, Percy Green was almost like the Black Panther. I mean, he yeah. he represented a, a connotation in St. Louis that, wow, you know, uh, 
he got their attention. I mean, that's the type of, of fear that but, a person brings. But there was, was there any yelling in the crowd? A lot of cheering from the blacks. The whites were very quiet, as I recall. The, the, the cheering from the blacks and, and just the, that, I guess, being black is, is hard to explain, but here's a man that has disrupted the system. Maybe he's going to jail, but he's disrupted this powerful machine and it's going to be disrupted for more than a minute or so. And I'm proud of that. It makes me feel good. So, and it, it's hard to relate that if you don't experience no. that, you know. So I, I think that was the reason for the cheering. Yeah, and then here's it. a black policeman now. And again, oh. you have to go out there and... and You have to do you have to do your job in front of people that perceived you were the part of the system and part of the problem, and that's difficult. Did you ever have to get help with this? Psychological help. Well, I mean, not that you were off the wall or anything, but I think it 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 can tear you apart a little bit. Well, you have to pray a lot. I'm from a Christian family. Uh, my grandfather was a preacher, and I think without that spiritual strength that I would, I would have not made it. I would have been so confused mm -hmm. and so misdirected. So I contribute my success, my survival, to uh, my spiritual beliefs mm -hmm. and my family also. Because it's a constant. It, it tells on absolutely. Yeah. Um, Black Power, Red Brown. Was that when, uh, was that Stokely? was that? Pat Brown holding a baby, 1967. That's St. Louis? Yeah, this is all St. Louis. Everything we... I remember, uh, was it Black and that came to Shelter Memorial. I was assigned up there. They wouldn't let police, they would search it. There was, uh, was that must have been Stokely when he came, and he said, burn, baby, burn. And uh, I think the, the judge issued some, uh, inciting a riot on him. He uh, was in, in uh, Shelter Memorial in Washington, and they would search you as you went in. Uh, so they had the black policemen up there again. Mm -hmm. uh, they would not let us in, and uh, they were able they were able to put a policeman in there under wire, and uh, that again violated the black assembly. And why would you put a policeman in? And, 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 and I think it was Stokely, it may have been Rap, but uh, he said some very ex exciting words about burn, baby, burn, and and then I remember that he left the Shell Memorial and called an airplane out of St. Louis, and there were, we had to effect some arrest because of his excitement that he had, he had just, he had just taken those people to a, a height of emotional that they were just ready to do anything, yeah. and he had left the city, and there were people that got arrested that evening because they had come out of Shell Memorial really hyped because of his fired up speech. Why do you think that uh, there weren't any riots in St. Louis? Wow, I mean, that's you, a you difficult... You just said that he got them up to a height, they were ready to do anything. Why didn't they do something? Number one, I think it was not the masses. It was just a few. And I think it had a lot to do with the administration, the mayor. I think it was Mayor Conway at that time. It was not Mayor Savannah's, uh, was it Conway or Savannah's? I thought it was Savannah's. Well, <clears throat> I think that he would at least listen to some blacks. And um, there was able, 
a little communications, okay? And then I think that uh, it has something to do with the geographical location of St. Louis, the Midwest. Very, uh, some people say it's, it's in the water. We're so complacent. It's something they put in the water that makes us so complacent. I've heard that from, yeah. from a friend that works uh, with us. So I think it was the, the complacency, the, just the normal behavior of the Midwest mentality. Um, the administration was very uh, astute and, and uh, at least listening to some of the blacks. Uh, didn't have any black leaders, as I recall, but was always willing to sit down and talk about it. They would not do anything but talk. And I think that's what really, in my opinion, uh, helped St. Louis to uh, to withhold the riots. Uh, and then sometimes it's a criticism. And as I travel that, they say, boy, you all couldn't even tap something, you know. Uh, so it's not all positive. Sometimes the, the people who are active, action motivated, uh, Throw it as a criticism. So I, I think the administration had a lot to do with it. I think that um, I remember very distinctly uh, when they were in the, the Franklin Avenue, and the the message was to burn down Franklin Street, and the blacks came out and said, well, "Wait a minute, now we live upstairs. Over these stores, you're gonna burn down." So there was a struggle between the liberators and the, and the people down there. I mean, they would say, "Okay, do your thing," but when you say burn down these stores. You know, I live upstairs open, where am I going to go? So that caused, uh, you know, a, a swell, you know. So I think that, and there were, there were distinct uh, movements in St. Louis to start a riot. I mean, people, as I understand, were sent here, but they couldn't ignite it. And why couldn't they ignite it? I think it's, it's more than just one answer. There's a lot of variables to that. How did, well, it's, I'm just going to say, when Percy Green said, you know, don't don't steal down here, go out to Clayton and Ladue instead. Um, how did you answer that criticism when you were away and they said that St. Louis couldn't even tear up a piece of paper? Couldn't start a riot. Uh, well, I, for uh, one, I, I'm, I don't believe in, in violence in any form, psychological or physical, so therefore I can never advocate that position. Uh, I, and, I, and I'm sure. Uh, that it was not advocated, I know it was not advocated by Mrs. King or Dr. King in the riots. He went out to speak against those riots. So I don't think that, number one, uh, I would ever try to position or defend a riot. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like the Watts, uh, you, you burn down your places and you ask white people to build it back up. I mean, that makes sense. You know, and then all the federal money comes in. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. So what did you accomplish in, in Watts? And I think that's the, the first major one that happened was Watts. Uh, if you tell me what significant came out of Watts, I may could understand the positive behind a riot, but I don't see anything positive. So when people ask me that, I'll refer back to Watts. I mean, what did you get out of Watts? What did you get out of Chicago or Detroit? You mentioned that when we were talking before, you said that there were no black leaders. Could you? Well, I mean, no black person like a Dr. King or a Jesse Jackson. There were certainly leaders, political, uh, pop, I mean, Jordan Baker. That Jordan Chambers? Chambers was in office. He was a little bit earlier. Earlier. In the 60s, if you, if you could be asked to, to name some, some uh, leaders. leaders or... Black leaders, I would say Norman Say. I would say uh, Ina Boone. Uh, 
NAACP. I would classify Percy Green as a leader. Uh, Skip, can't think of Skip's last name, the Zulu 1200. Uh, uh, they were certainly leaders. Uh, they, you may not agree with their leadership, but they had following. And I, I, I classify leaders that have a, a person or people that follow them. Um, I look at, uh, oh, there's so many, there are numbers of black leaders. In the political arena, I'm not sure, I guess, was Bill Clay there? I just thought yeah, he, was. he was just getting off. Uh, uh, you certainly didn't include the senators. But there was, and I, I think that is, uh, uh, they didn't get involved in, as I recall. Let me ask you something. Are you talking about people who had influence, or are you really calling them leaders? I think that uh, both. I think that, that Percy had influence. Uh, Skip had influence, uh, NAACP. So I would classify them as leaders and as people with influence. Now, if you say influence with the system, then I'd, I'd have to go back and say, well, I'd have to, I couldn't, I couldn't classify a uh, person that having influence with the system. The message. He would certainly be a person that had influence. Now, did he have enough influence to create change? Probably in the community because he would change 10 or 12 people's attitudes but not with the system, the police department, or the government. But do you feel that there, do you, do you feel that uh, there was one leader in St. Louis that could take hold? No, I don't think there was one leader that, uh, uh, and that's good, I'm not saying negative. I, don't, I, I did not identify with one leader uh, that could mobilize the masses, and I say not everybody but the masses. I just didn't see that in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I saw a few people that had followers and influence in certain pockets, but I didn't see a person, and uh, maybe Bill Clay would have been the person if I if it was close to anybody would, would have the most ability to mobilize the, the greater majority of blacks. <clears throat> and uh, from your perspective, you were saying that, and, and maybe it's good, Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, leaders keep other leaders in check. So the I more leaders? Absolutely. The more you have uh, a balance, it creates a balance. It, 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 it certainly helps that uh, perception of the drum major that Dr. King spoke about, the drum major instinct where I'm leading the parade. Um, when you have more than one powerful black leader, it helps the growth, specifically Atlanta. Powerful leaders in Atlanta, and they're all uh, helping to keep each other in check, and uh, Atlanta just grows and grows. Um, <laughs> did we finish with the wall of respect? I was glad when they finished. I spent a lot of time. We were there from the time they started to the time they ended. And what was on day. the wall of respect? Different blacks that had contributed uh, significantly to the struggle for blacks. Uh, as I recall, faces of Dr. King, Malcolm X, Alan Clayton Powell, females. Uh, and it, it really told a story. Very well done. I mean, just the, the talent. Uh, that these black men and dedication, they had music and I got, it was a festivity. It was not a solemn uh, event. Uh, I was a little disturbed because I had to spend uh, the time there, whether it was 10 hours a day uh, or five. I sat there and uh, 
watched uh, the activities. Were you taunted at all? Yeah, a little bit. I, I tried to stay out of the, uh, the festivities. In fact, we would sit across the street uh, on the front of Fry's Drugstore, which is about, there's a street separating us. Uh, we meaning another black uh, Another black off. Because there were only two of you in your class. Yeah, but my, this was not the police officer in my class. I know, but I'm saying if there were only two in your class and there were only two in the next class and so forth, there weren't very many of you. No, that right in the '60s, all blacks knew each other. Police uh, That's changed a little bit now, but in the '60s, uh, we all knew everybody. Yeah, everybody knew couldn't have been a, uh, but a handful. A handful. Uh, when did that start to change? Um, I think in, in the late '70s, and then this board uh, has adopted a policy that all classes are 50 percent minority and female. Uh, let's go to Martin Luther King um, when he died. Do you remember where you were when you heard it? Or anything about that? Um, I was at home when I heard that the uh, that Dr. King was assassinated or had been shot. And it, it took a while to clarify that he was dead. Uh, there was so many confusion, so much confusion. And uh, uh, there was like, uh, I knew he was in Memphis. I didn't really follow Dr. King a lot. Uh, I heard on the radio just by listening to the news and the Poor People's March, and then that he had gone to Memphis for the sanitation workers. And uh, when, it, when it came back that he was assassinated, uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know, in America, you know, how could it happen in America? Uh, when you talk about freedom for all and all the great words and all the Star Spangled Banner scene and the Pledge of Allegiance, it was like, uh, it was very, very difficult to even begin to, to not get angry at the system again because you felt the system was responsible for that assassination. Well, didn't you think it was okay to get angry at the system? Yeah, but there was nothing you could do with it. I mean, you know, uh, this, it's, it's like some great uh, ghost sitting up on a hill that you can't touch it. Ghost? Ghost. You can't, you can't touch it, you can't talk to it, but it controls your destiny. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> but just try to make it in this life and, and, and just exist with all the injustices and all the, e the evil that you see, evil man, man doing evil to man, and you just can't do anything about it. When you heard this at home, uh, what, what did you do? Naturally, the, 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 the telephone began to ring. Did you hear? And, and blacks, my, my mother, and, you know, and anybody turned the TV on, we just sat in front of the TV, said I could, I can remember just trying to get bits of news. Uh, it was confusing statements that came out and uh, basically uh, just in a state of shock, trying to find out the facts of, uh, of what happened and, and, and how is the condition. As I recall, it was several hours before they even announced that he was dead. And, uh, so you were off then? Yes. Okay. And when, what time was it? Was it when, when were you to be back on duty? I think I was working uh, the next day. I was just off 
duty making either that day, so it was no prolonged day. They day. didn't call you back early? Uh, I think there was some planning about the participation because the riots began to break out. And as I recall... Riots did? Not in St. Louis. No. Well, across the nation. Yeah. Uh, and as I recall, there was a meet, several meetings with the police department trying to strategize what would happen if it did happen in St. Louis because Mrs. King was trying to quell the nation down, I remember, and I can remember uh, Abernathy saying that's not what Dr. King would have wanted. So uh, there were uh, meetings uh, and discussion about what would happen, who would be deployed, uh, where was the most, most likely thing for riots to break out and if, it, if it happened in St. Louis. Those type of discussions uh, were, I think, immediately uh, generated by the system. So how were you, how were you brought in and, and what did you do? As a detective, uh, I mean, as a patrolman in the 9th District, we were just made aware that it's possibility and, and that uh, uh, people were now going to be in a very hype state and uh, the way you talk to people on the street, just the basic things that came down from the... How did they tell you to talk to them? Uh, with some sensitivity, with some understanding that there was some hard, there was some very difficult. Um, yeah, basically it was coming down. No, no, no not an officer. It was, coming, it was coming down from the top from the. Uh, well, whoever the, told you. Right. The, who did tell you? Fuck you, too! I've heard it before. Yeah, but that's not the kind of station I run. Well. <laughs> um. That's okay. Um, who told you what to do? Was it were they black or white? Black. Black. I think it was my sergeant, Sergeant Grimes. At that time, was a sergeant, and Sergeant. Uh, the same Grimes. And I think it was more just sensitivity. You know that there's going to be some problems in your regular patrol. People are hyped. They're very. They're on a time bomb and and be careful. So uh, it was more or less at roll call, if you understand what roll call is, when we were assembling, you know, that, uh, but that was my sergeant saying that. And so if there had been a riot, I mean, were you to use your stick? And I wouldn't have used my stick. I don't believe in, and uh, I'm just not, I don't believe in that. Even killing. I would preserve the peace. I'd do my job, but I would not. Uh... Here's some pictures of the march. Yeah, I can remember that very well. Uh, the chief gave a directive that uh, that we would naturally be in black. We would be in the parade mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons, and uh, we wear black armbands. And that was a tremendous uh, progress for the police department. That was uh, a good tremendous. touch. Yeah. And uh, you're saying that's good progress for the police department? Yeah, I thought that was wild to be uh, to say that the police department is going to mourn Dr. King's death, a black man. And we uh, we were given armbands to wear. Everybody in the parade had an armband. We were supposed to wear our left uniform. And there were two officers who refused to take part in the parade and uh, did not go. 
and I thought that was a very uh, racist statement. And then my supervisor let that officer get away with it. That really disturbed me. Those officers did not participate, and there was no disciplinary action taken against them. This was a chief order, and uh, they refused to go on the parade route. And I was very disturbed. Mad again, couldn't do anything about it and just uh, looked at it as another incident where they have dual standards and the policy had come down and uh, I was very, very disturbed that that had, that, that had been permitted to happen. The officers stayed in the station, did not even buy the station. Um, can you describe what it was like to be in the parade or what people were doing and saying? Very solemn. I mean, uh, you can see there was six or seven abreast. Uh, I can remember I was at, uh, it came down Franklin Street, and uh, I was about at Cardinal or Compton. And as it, as it came over, the, it's, an it's an incline over the hill. And I can remember very vividly that boy, I mean, I've never seen this many people in my life, walking quietly, holding hands, some of them with tears in their faces, to set a signal to the world that they are one morning for Dr. King. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. My, my eyes saw it and I experienced it, but it was very difficult to tell you how it felt to see that many people, both black and white, that were walking in solemn with all in one agenda to mourn a person that they respected. There were no problems on this? No, I didn't know. I don't even think that, uh, oh, I just think that it would have been so, it would have been so out of place, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but it did happen other places. Yeah, yeah. Here's another view, uh, I don't know if it's this is. This looks to me like it's on um, Union. Like the now they came. Or? Yeah, they came down Franklin. Went to Forest Park. Ended up in Forest Park. Mm -hmm. And Franklin Avenue ends at Grand. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what route they took, but I remember Norman Say was in the, in the front and all the leaders, and they ended up in Forest Park with a big rally. So at some point they had to probably let's see. Franklin Avenue ends at Grand. They may have gone down Delmar to, to Linda, or Delmar to Kings Highway. But yeah, this is, uh, it's, and that's, you know, for hours you just could see people coming over the incline. It just, uh, it is just indescribable what you feel. I guess you have mixed emotions. You feel very angry uh, that something like this could happen in America that people are so full of hate that they would kill. And, and then you wonder, you know, where do you go from here? You know, it's, it's just a void, it's emptiness. And uh, that was a sad day, that was a sad day. It's, uh, even if you, you know, you really didn't know, uh, maybe I didn't understand nonviolence, I certainly didn't, but uh, the way he was fighting for not only black people, but for people. And you feel like, is there any hope? I mean, what, if you can just pull a trigger and snip a life out, I mean, what hope is there for us? 
So I, I was very, I mean, the motions and that went through me is seeing this for a while. It's, uh, and then to think that there's people who are not even saddened that this happens and refuse to wear armband. That would even, that would, and then not only the people that said I'm not going to do it, but some other people let it get, let it happen and get away with. It. So I guess I was, I was difficult times. Were, was the police department expecting riots that night? Um, no, they had probably prepared like they always do for it. But I think the, again, the cooperation, uh, the chief said put on black armbands. Uh, we were on the detail parade. Uh, and I'm sure that was articulated to the march planners. So I think the, again, the, I shouldn't say politically stupid, but just the communications uh, quelled down a lot. How'd they get to the grassroots people? Uh, Norman say they would just talk to them. I mean, they would have a meeting and, uh, it was always either uh, in the street or at the police headquarters. They would come down. I mean, Percy Green wasn't bad. <laughs> you know, he'd <laughs> ask for a meeting, and sometimes he'd bring them out to the, to the, I know the Zulus had a headquarters on Delmar, mm -hmm. and they would. Uh, um, what did, uh, here we are at the uh, Civil War People's March. Across each bridge. Does that ring a bell with you, 1968? No, I remember. Uh, I mean, they traveled all over the country. And yeah, and I remember being again uh, disturbed at uh, the press, basically the press. Uh, they recited how the people were living in Washington and Abernathy went to Ramadi Inn, and it made it. It just took away from the whole issue. They focused on, on the march and the behavior, the sex that was happening, and then uh, I just it just turned me off. The sex that was happening. They were saying that there was there were orgies in the oh. tents and all this. Just wondered if I'd heard the right word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, as I recall, they seemed to focus more on the behavior of a few um, than the issue. Yeah. Well, and um, does that look like a Police. At the police vehicle. What they call track car. I showed this picture to someone um, who would be oh, more on a grassroots level. Um, and he said that um, he didn't think that uh, uh, police should lead a parade of any kind, a protest parade. Well, he thought that look. meant the police sanctioned it. Well, uh, what's wrong with the police? They're, they're not sanctioned. I'm not sure who. I'm not sure. Well, let me answer my question. Your question first. Number one, the police is there for safety. Mm -hmm. Okay. Regardless of the issue, that's what they were saying. I think the big controversy in New York when the Nazis demonstrated, mm -hmm. and uh, they they still had to be protected. So if we're to protect the law, then that's our responsibility. So we're there just for the safety of the police or the safety of the people so they don't get hit by cars and, uh, you know, so I, I certainly don't think the police intended to, to be projected as leading the parade or leading the protest. I mean, <laughs> uh, that car was there for the safety of the people and that's what we're sworn to do. Were you ever uh, in, in 
out of uniform and on duty undercover. Thank God. Why thank God? Well, I, that young officer that they sent in Shelton Memorial uh, was identified in the community has taken some, some, some serious, serious loss for doing that. Uh, he was uh, sent in undercover, his gun and badge were removed, and uh, as I recall, he was up on the uh, tape recorder, and that's, uh, and then his name got out to the community. It's, it's, uh, that's difficult. Uh, I'm trying to nail you down for some more demonstrations that you might have been at. The opening night of Powell Hall, uh, any protests? Powell Hall. Um, let's see, we go back over um, March on City Hall in 68, the Black Sundays we've been over that. Can you think of any uh, just protests uh, of land clearance and housing authority? There was Homer Phillips, uh, when they closed Homer Lee Phillips. Oh, I was there. Were you there? Uh, well, they took all the black officers again. <laughs> and they sent you, uh, and it was very emotional. Um, uh, that been, was later, wasn't that the 70s? Um, yeah, they, they, that, that may be not out of this time. That was not in the 60s. No, that was not around this time. That was later on in the 70s. How late in the 70s? When they closed home with the So when they closed, I was in, uh, I guess about 70. It's been closed 10, 12 years. Well, well, we'll just talk about it for a minute and then uh, we'll move on. But as long as you were there, what was it like? Well, it was again very difficult. Uh, we were told, and in fact, all and then for good reason, that they picked on the black officers to put over there. Uh, they had a filed an injunction in court to stop it, and the injunction did not go through. Uh, they had said uh, close it and uh, there were people landing in the uh, driveways trying to stop the ambulances from uh, delivering the, uh, the EO. I think they were transporting the city house number one. There was singing, there was praying and again, uh, you know, you being black and Homer G. Phillips, I mean that's a, that's a landmark in the black community. I, that's all. I thought there was only hospital in the world. You know, Homer G. Phil, all black folks. So angry with blacks because they are, they were reacting rather than proactive, and angry with the system because they didn't give a damn about blacks or poor. So I was there again to protect the peace. How I justified it when I uh, there were some ambulances trying to get out of the driveway. Homer G. Phil has a driveway. And there were protesters laying on the ground. And I said, look, you know, those are black people that are sick in an ambulance. And if you continue to lay here, you know, those people need medical attention. Now, whatever you feel about closing homes with Phillips, there's some sick people that are in, in all those 10 ambulances. And we need to get those ambulances out of here. Some of them got up and moved. Some of them stayed on the ground and we had to arrest them. So I dealt. I guess I rationalized and said, regardless of what you think about Homer G. Phillips, but I'm, I have my personal opinion. There's some sick people in there with oxygen, and, and they shouldn't be in the ambulance, and they need to get into a, a bed. 
and be treated. And they're not white people, they're black people. So that when you continue to lay here, you're jeopardizing that health at, at First Avalanche. And it worked on some, it didn't work on others. So we had to rest. There was singing, there was everybody. There was, so you had to rest? Oh yeah, had to rest. To get them out of the driveway, they were laying in the driveway. So you had to arrest people in that kind of situation? You had to arrest people in a, in a difficult, a brutal, more brutal type of, and it didn't matter if they were black or white, you could have, you arrested them? Yeah, if you're violating the law, the law gives you an opportunity to move, uh, then you get arrested. And I think that's not, uh, that doesn't violate my principles. You know, I certainly feel uh, like Dr. King that in an unjust law you violate and then you suffer consequences. If you violate and run, you just, you, you, that's not the way you do. You violate it and then suffer the consequences. If you feel like it's an unjust. How'd you feel when you um, arrested someone that was white for the first time? Didn't have any feeling. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember the person, so it must have been insignificant because uh, I deal with you know what's right and what's wrong. Okay, if 